to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Do you struggle with depression? Do you sometimes think depression is a sign that you're weak? Do you worry that you're never going to feel better? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. I'm talking to Jay Glazer. He's a TV personality and sports reporter. You can find him on Fox Sports NFL pregame studio show. Jay also has depression. And in the sports world where many men might be embarrassed to talk about mental health issues, Jay is open about his struggles. He's worked hard to find strategies that help his depression and anxiety better, but he makes it clear that he has to keep working on himself on an ongoing basis to fend off his symptoms, or as you'll hear him call it, the gray. Today, we're talking about his new book, Unbreakable. Some of the things he talks about are why you need a team to help you battle depression, the things he's found most helpful in managing his mental health, and the strategies that you can use to feel better. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Jay's strategies and talk about how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Jay Glazer on how to fight the battle against depression. Jay Glazer, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Appreciate you having me here. So you just wrote this book called Unbreakable, How I Turned My Depression and Anxiety into Motivation, and you can too. From the outside, though, you don't exactly look like you'd be the poster child for somebody coming out and talking about depression and anxiety. Have people been surprised? Yeah, I mean, does anybody look like the poster child for it? Right? It, this thing plays by its own set of rules. It decides who it's gonna, whose life it's going to attack and, and uh, whose brain it's going to affect and whose emotions are going to affect. I think what I've been surprised about, I guess, has been people's surprise over how open and vulnerable. I've always been a vulnerable guy. But when people say you're so courageous and so brave, I don't see it as that way. I just see it as being authentic. And look, one of the things that gets me through my depression, anxiety, and my, mine is clinical. It's my earliest childhood memory. And it turns out my grandmother, even back in the 50s, was dealing with it. And I just learned that. Um, and my mom has, has had to deal with it. I don't know any other way but to look at but to wake up in the grave. And I know a lot of people would be, I guess the, the shock can people would look at me and say, my God, this guy's life is great. And it covered the NFL and made people laugh and he's on ballers. And yeah, my life is great. Like, there's no doubt about it. But between my ears, it sucks. And the pain I feel behind my rib cage is, is pretty awful. So every day I've got to do something to get myself out of that gray, to hopefully see some blue. And, you know, we all, where this book was important for me, we all talk about mental health, but who describes it? Who gives it a voice? So I want, I want to be the one to give it a voice, to give, to give us all words to be able to use to attack the brain. And I'm glad that you did, because when I say you don't look like the poster child, as a therapist, I think people have this impression that we can tell when people are depressed or it's people who stay in bed all day and they don't have a job. They aren't out there in the public eye. You're out there doing all this really cool stuff, as you say, and depression and anxiety clearly doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Well, my, my depression, anxiety, it's interesting because the book is how it motivated me. And 
it, it can motivate you too. And there's two ways we can go about it. Like getting out of bed for me every day is hard. It's a daily battle. Um, there isn't a day that I've woken up, I'm trying to think the last, I don't know, the last time I haven't woken up and then it's just been hard to get out of bed, thinking my sky has fallen, thinking the universe and world just hate me. Uh, I'm unlovable, I'm not worthy of being loved. It's pretty much every day of my life. And that's, that's hard to get out of bed like that. But the moment I do get out of bed, I decide I'm going to be relentless. I'm going to go after these things outside love as hard as I can. So all the great things that I've done that we talk about, it's because I don't know how to love myself from the inside out. I go do all these great things to get some love from the outside in. And I hope at one point, I'm, I'm still a work in progress, but I hope at one point they can maybe meet in the middle. I can learn how to love myself from the inside out and, and start seeing it. Um, but that, again, that's, there's two choices I can have. I could just have to just lay in bed and let the gray win. I'm a fighter. I'm not going to let that happen. Or I can get out of bed and start whipping a tags per day. Well, you know, in the beginning of your book, I actually had a moment where I thought, hmm, because I was concerned that you were going to say that once you achieved all of these things, your depression went away. And then I realized very quickly, like you said, no, here I am. I'm at the top of my game. And it took a long time to get there. But once you got there, things moved really quickly. But then you said it didn't it didn't go away. And here I am still battling it every single day. Yeah, it wasn't rainbows and unicorns. And that's what we all think. Um, now, look, paying my bills was easier. So I've known both sides. Right. So I was broke. What was I broke? I was making ninety seven hundred a year for the first 11 years of my career living in New York City, um, like just crappy places, unsafe places. And I, I really wouldn't take a lot of help from others um, or any money from, from anybody, really. <clears throat> so I understand the broke part of it, and I understand the unbreakable part of it as well. But I thought once I got to the top of my game, man, it would be rainbows and unicorns. And it's just not like that. It's, you know, I think when you get a lot of stuff, all of a sudden you, people like me then have a fear of losing it. So the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for everybody out there is the journey itself. And look, I'm a big, big, big God guy. You know, I, I, I build teams everywhere. I include the one up there. Yeah, that, that one up there. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll read different prayer books or whatever I can to learn. Um, and I saw something in a prayer book one day. It said, appreciate the toil of the climb. And I took that to heart. And I never knew I'd be Jay Glazer of the NFL and Fox or Jay Glazer of Baller or Jay Glazer of MMA or Jay Glazer of Unbreakable. Um, but I, what I did know is I man, some of the stuff that I was doing along the way for zero dollars was pretty damn cool. So that, for everybody out there, the pot of gold and the rainbow is the journey itself. Because you think about the most successful actors, supermodels, whatever, they've still been rejected 99.999% of the time. And a lot of them were still unhappy. And for me, I'm at the pinnacle and I still don't know how to feel it. So I've got to you know, the, the the reward for me is trying to feel it from the inside out, trying to get love. And I'm glad you said that because there are so many people who have that misconception like, oh, if only I could uh, get a promotion, I'd be happier. Or I'll be happy when, when the kids leave, when I lose weight, when I can move on and do something else in life. And then they find out their expectations sort of set them up for failure because once they get there, their problems don't all magically disappear. Yeah, my wallet is not an antidepressant. And I learned that fast. and. Again, yes, is it better for me to not have to play bill-paying roulette? Yeah, where I just kind of 
put stuff in a fishbowl and design with the bills in a bay each week. And if the gas was getting shut off or the heat was getting shut off, sure. Can I, are there better luxuries? Yes. But it didn't give me entree into learning to love myself for the inside out. And I see people who, listen, you go to other countries, even third world countries, and they're happy people in the world. And they jump up and they see you and just the greeting they see you with, they're so much happier than we are. So it's got to come from the inside out. We've got to do that. And especially nowadays. Definitely. It, it, it's a harder world nowadays. Um, you're a therapist. And like I, I just did a, a, an appearance with 75 or 74 clinicians. And then me, my crazy. And, uh, and I said, look, everybody in here is qualified to speak on the subject. You're qualified for your schooling. I'm qualified because of my suffering. The difference is my education will continue when you guys went to school for this. This wasn't really out. This wasn't a factor, right? Social media wasn't such a factor. Right. It's been a factor in mine. And my life is great, yet I still can't compare myself to everybody else's filtered fraction of a second and go, man, I feel left out of this. Or, damn, my life sucks compared to that person. And if I feel that, think how many others feel that. Or we see so much hate on Twitter. The human condition is not meant for that. You know, we were growing up and, and you got bullied in the playground or, or your friend did. It sucks for a week. But now we see it a thousand times a second. We're not ingrained to deal with that. So, so how, how do you deal with that? I, I am, man, I'm trying to now use social media differently. I'm trying to get people to follow me and saying, hey, listen, well, you know, in my three pillars in fight in the gray, one of them is to have a team, right? When I have a team, um, it's able to get through the gray and see a little bit more blue. So I'm trying now to get, you know, writing this book, a whole bunch more teammates out there and then use our social media to say, hey, anybody out there having some issues, drop them down there in the comments. We got your back. We got you. And they have been doing that, right? We are lifting people up. If you have something good to celebrate, drop it down here so we can celebrate with you. And when I started doing that, it's the first time I've ever seen, there was 100% um, positivity back. So there... It's the decisions we make. So I'm trying to use social media to help show people and lead uh, lead by example that we don't have to use it to be fraudulent or to make people think our lives are great when they're not or to shame other people or to just talk crap to other people. I like that a lot. It's super important right now. And maybe we should explain to our audience what you mean when you talk about the gray. So the gray for me, it's what I live in every day of my life. I wake up in it every day. It is depression, and depression's equally as messed up twin sister anxiety. Um, and again, it's an everyday thing. Like I just, and when when my gray is particularly strong, it's a physical reaction. So when I'm stuck in the gray, I feel it behind my rib cage on the left side of my gut. So we always talk about a gut punch, or you know, having a feeling in your gut. Where I go with your gut, I feel it in my gut. And then my joints ache, like I just got through a 50 round fight and it's raining and it's raining bad outside. So I actually physically feel it. I have to get myself out of that. That's my only choice. And I don't know when it's going to come. And I have anxiety attacks almost every time I go on TV. And I'm not, and the crazy part is I'm great in chaos. So I love being in a cage. I love being on TV. In 2005, I had my first anxiety attack in an empty stadium. The walls just started caving in. My heart started racing. My eyes started flickering. 
started sweating like crazy. My hands were shaking like this. But back then we weren't talking about mental health and anxiety attacks. I was having a heart attack. So for years I was having my heart checked out and it was just anxiety attacks, which are not dangerous. So now when I'm on TV and I'm having an anxiety attack, which is all the time, um, I'm wrestling with my abuser, I call it. I'm wrestling with my abuser. As I'm talking to you at home, I'm talking to the gray, to the voice, like trying to negotiate my release, if you will. And one of the things I use to get out of that is laughter. So if you see me laugh on TV, crack a joke real fast, um, I will... It's usually get myself out of some anxiety attack that I'm having. And that works if you get other people to laugh? And myself, yeah. Yeah. Like the gray hates laughter. Yes. How did you come about to name it the gray? You know, somebody just asked me that. I don't know. It's it's literally the lens I look at life in. Um, And I was doing the therapy session. um, And I was kind of seeing my... I was kind of meditating and and um and I was seeing like I was just kind of going through these dark gray tunnels. And then at the end, I saw this light, beautiful lights, and then I started crying. And she said, Why are you crying? I said, Because I feel bad for that person, not me. That I I travel life through the gray and I deserve to smile in that color. So yeah, I just it's, it's just how I, I don't know where I came up with. Somebody asked me that the other day. I don't know where, but it's a pretty damn good description for all. It is, yeah. and something it's actually a therapeutic technique that we often use. And perhaps you didn't even know this. So we'll often have people name something. So instead of somebody saying "I have anxiety" or "I am anxious," we'll figure out a name for it, whether it's anxiety, depression, something else. People come up with some pretty interesting names. And then we talk about it more externally. Okay, this is you against the whatever it is you call this, and it's a battle. And you did that naturally in your book. You clearly figured out this works. You came up with strategies so that you could fight the gray and figured out what works for you. Yeah, no, and that's, that's the thing too. And I, it's so funny because people wanted me to write a book for a long time, a football book. And I was like, I don't want to look over my shoulder with all the secrets I know. And um, and then I was like, I've had so many different things in my life. Um, but being of service to me is like a huge way for me out of the gray. So I knew if I could write a book about this and I could be of service, that would help me out of the gray in a, in a big way. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute because you do discuss that in your book a fair amount. And I like that idea. A lot of times people who are struggling with mental health issues feel like they're worthless, like they're useless, that they don't have any reason to get out of bed every day. So how do we figure out how to be of service? So there's plenty of ways. You know, I list a lot of them in the book. Yeah. And like, there's one thing I still do. Um, and it doesn't matter, again, if you're broke or unbroke, unbreakable, uh, whatever level you're at. Um, I go to the 99 cent store and I get toothbrush, toothpaste, handy wipes, um, band-aids, deodorant, pad and pen, gloves and socks. and make little packets like this, hand them out to the homeless. I drive around, I have them ready when I see someone at seven bucks. Right? It doesn't cost that much. But um, sometimes I go around with those, walk around, and um, when I come upon homeless people, I'll ask them what their name is. Because when was the last time somebody asked them their name? And just talk. That's just a way that I connect with people and I'm able to be of service. Um, I used to go, I mean, these are in the book. I used to go on Christmas Letters to Santa, they got sent to, like, little children send letters to Santa Claus. And they actually go to a post office. And a lot of them were really sad 
So I'll fulfill some of those. And on Christmas Eve, go, I used to go with my old fight team to the pro inside the projects in New York City and knock on doors Christmas Eve or Christmas week and say, we were sent by Santa. Here's this Jewish guy walking up and with a fight team, <laughs> you know, going up and um, saying Santa sent us. And just, and it wasn't a lot. It was a Barbie doll or a lot of them were just like, I just wish I could have a blanket or, you know, socks without holes. I mean, really sad stuff. But you want to talk about being able to see some blue, do that. That's an effect on someone's life that, that could change their lives. Or just calling somebody, saying, how you doing today? I was thinking about you. I appreciate you. You never know how bad someone's gray is. And when a simple phone call like that may lift them up. I had one of my best friends tell me recently that I called him one day. I knew he was going through something. But man, I turned it into a, I turned it into a laugh fest for us. He told me he was going to kill himself until that. Mm. And you just never know calling somebody and telling them you love them or checking up on you, seeing how you're doing. You just never know how it's going to affect somebody. And I like that you talk about those little things that we can do because when people seem to talk about volunteering or being of service, they often think that they have to formally volunteer somewhere or it has to be a huge commitment. But there's plenty of little things we could do on a daily okay. basis that can also help us feel better. Yeah, just like I said, little things like that, just daily check-ins. And one of the other things you talk about in your book is how sometimes something good can come out of something bad, and it might not necessarily be for us, but if we just share our stories with other people, we might help someone who's been there too. Yeah, I have this thing called, you know, you never know lies around next Tuesday. Like my, my co-author over here, Sarah Tomlinson, um, let's see if you can see the name of that little, it's down, all the way down there. Sarah Tomlinson. Um, I did, so I, I wrote the book and I sent in the last chapter on the last day. So I wrote everything else except for the last chapter and sent the last chapter in, at the end. And um, I wanted her to see this in real time. I chose Sarah because she beat cancer. Only reason. I chose her over all the, the authors that were presented to me because she didn't break from cancer. She beat it. She came through the other side of the tunnel and nobody could ever take that for, from her. So I said to her, Sarah, I know it sucks you had cancer. I know it. But if you didn't, I wouldn't have chosen you. If I didn't cho choose you, you wouldn't have been able to help out and save all these people. And we have a, a, another case of a kid named Logan in the book, which that'll make you, that'll lift you up. Logan's story will lift you up where this little boy beat leukemia twice, 11 years of his life, from three to, I mean, eight years, from three to 11, um, ended up starting a movement for me, my MVP foundation, which is, you know, helping all these vets. And if he didn't beat leukemia, I wouldn't have met him. I wouldn't have met his grandmother, who's the therapist for all these veterans and be able to start something like that. So you never know what lies around next Tuesday. And that's, you know, common thread of what I use there. When our lives are just so down, you never know when, man, next Tuesday, maybe you find love. Maybe you um, find a way to love yourself. Maybe you save somebody. Maybe you see something like, hey, that's my next business venture. Maybe you see, oh, my gosh, I'm gonna, now I'm going to start a family. Maybe I mean, you just never know what lies around next Tuesday. So we got to hold on for each other. And look, you know, for a guy like me, I went through 11 years of rejection when I was making my 9700 bucks a year. And for, for somebody like me with such mental health issues, to get rejected over and over and over and over, 
that was hard. That was, man. And I had to tell myself every week, man, you never know what lies right next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, I may get that job. Next Tuesday, I may be able to pay my bills. And I told myself that for 11 years until that Tuesday eventually rolled around. That's the story of my life. I was at the probably the worst moment of my life. And I wrote myself a letter of what mentally strong people don't do. And it was just a letter for me. I didn't man think it was going to go public, but that's why I got to write four books on mental strength is that letter went viral. 50 million people read it. But I didn't, somebody would have told me the day before, hey, something really good's going to happen to you. Probably wouldn't have believed it, but you really don't ever know. And when you're in that bottom of that pit and everything feels like it's hopeless and you think, what next? When you're only expecting bad things to happen, it's tough, but there are plenty of stories out there of people who say, you know, something great happened to me when I least expected it. How did you handle coming off the high when 50 million people read it? And then how did you handle that? Well, one of the people happened to be a literary agent. You and I have the same publisher, HarperCollins. And they said, oh, you should write a book. And as a therapist, I said, well, I don't tell my story. I listen to people's stories. So thank you very much. And uh, declined. And they sort of kept encouraging me. No, it's okay. You should you should tell your story. And and then in the moment of, duh, Amy, maybe if you wrote a, wrote the rest of the story and people knew why you wrote the letter to yourself, maybe you could help someone. Now I'm really glad that I did that. But in that moment, it was even tough to see that uh, that I should do that. Hmm. Interesting. But when you got that high of writing it, did it, did you have to keep chasing it or were you able to receive the love for it and like let it sink in behind your ribcage? You know, in the moment, I think I was just confused. <laughs> I had so many celebrities, people reaching out to me like, oh, that was a great article. And I, I, I was a therapist working in rural Maine. I had no right. intention of ever putting that article out there. So the thought that so many people were reading it yet didn't know the story behind it, it was uncomfortable. It was fun. But at the same time, I thought, I'm not really sure what this is going to mean for me. So it took a while to get there. Um, and it was, I guess, the month later that I finally said, okay, let's do it. Let's try to write a book. But same for your story, though. Here you are. You turned your struggle into something that you're now talking about this. And you're somebody that people will listen to because they look at you. They see you on TV all the time. And now you're also sharing these personal details about your life. When did you first start talking about your struggles with people? Well, it's funny. Being in, in the fight world and, and football world, it was always like, Jay's crazy. And it was kind of a badge of honor, right? Um, then I started my charity and I, like vulnerability, because I'm physically strong, I view myself where I could be incredibly vulnerable. No one's going to question my strength or my manhood. So I could cry in front of a whole room or cry on the drop of a dime. And, um, and I'm a very expressive person. God blessed me with the ability to communicate. So I'm very expressive. So I just looked at, as I started opening up, I realized there was a void. Again, nobody talks about it. Nobody describes it. And God blessed me with the ability to communicate. So I was going to be the first one to really give it words. And, and that's been the, the probably the most fulfilling thing for me about writing this book. Because I have had grandmothers. I keep crying every time I tell the story. 80-year-old grandmother reach out saying, thank you. You finally gave me the words to have the conversation with my husband and my kids, and my grandkids. Think about that, 80 years old. And I gave her the words for that, which is, oh my God. I had, um, I've had a lot of girl dads reach out. And there's a lot of foul, foul language in the book. 
And they're telling me, I got this for my 10-year-old daughter. And I'm like, well, be careful. But he said, well, <laughs> it's giving me the words where I can have the conversation with my 10-year-old daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, 14-year-old daughter. I've had other parents reach out and say, I've got it for all my kids. And we're, we're starting to own with our own unbreakable book club in the house. Um, and for people say, I just, I didn't know how to talk to them about this. Now I understand what they're going through. So I could help them through their journey, help them get through the other side of the tunnel. That's been for me um, the most uplifting part of this. And, you know, the other part is when I, when I wrote the book, I stopped doing all my treatment and I do a lot of treatment. I have three therapists. I get IVs each week, different things I try. I, I mean, I try anything and everything. Um, unfortunately, I've been on 36 antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds and I haven't found any at work. Um, but every time something new comes out, I'm like, I'll try it. And I'm always this, like my friends who have antidepressant and anti-anxiety meds that work for them. I'm always so jealous. I'm like, man, I wish I could, it could work for me. But no matter what, both of us have to still do the work. Mm-hmm. To do the work. So if they work for you and you can do the work that I'm doing, then it's a plus. I'm also trying to give us skills for people that doesn't, you know, certain things don't work for. Um, I, but I stopped all my treatments. And, it, and I did it on purpose so I could really pull my skin back and be raw and describe the gray in the most painful, rawest, realest words I could. And that was starting back last February. And I'm still trying to recover from it. Like, so, man, we should never stop our treatment. Um, I'm glad I was able to for the words, but, you know, kind of little regret right now just because it's been so hard to get me back to where I was before it, still not thinking straight. Uh, then I went right into my NFL season. So, you know, as I started doing the treatment, my world was just going crazy. So, but I'm... I'm glad as I would do it to be of service to, to everybody out there. They truly have these words to use. And that's an important point about treatment. Because sometimes people come to their first therapy session and they already want to know, well, when am I done therapy? Is it four sessions, eight sessions? They want me to give them the exact number of when they're going to feel better. But the work isn't done and it doesn't go away. Even once you're, you're right. done therapy, you still have things to work on. We all do in life. And even more people know this, like, they'll think, okay, everything's good now. No, like, hey, just because, like, winning teams, they don't, not practice, right? You still practice every day. You're in practice. Even when you're, you're a heavyweight champion of the world, you don't stop practicing. You practice more. So when things are good, continue your treatments and continue to try and build on those good times. This is a forever thing. And it's, we're so at the beginning of learning how to handle mental health. And that's one of the biggest things I tell people, listen, when you hurt your elbow, you're the first one. These players are the first ones that the physical therapist getting treatment and the over they'll do whatever they have to to get through that treatment for that elbow. When the biggest muscle in our bodies are, why don't we get, why don't we do the same type of same level of treatment for that and continue to strengthen that. So yeah, it, it needs to be a, consi- a constant there. Yeah, absolutely. People wouldn't quit going to the gym. They'd be like, well, my muscles are big enough. I don't need to build any more physical strength. You keep working on it. Mental mm-hmm. strength's the same. You keep working on it. Before we go, can you tell us a little bit about MVP, your charity? Yep. Uh, merging vets and players. We take former combat vets who are struggling and merge them together with former NFL players, fighters, Olympians who are struggling as well. Just give them a team again. And it's a mental health foundation. There'll be 90 of us sometimes in a, in a meeting. And you know, we'll train together for about a half hour just to release the endorphins and, and, and kind of be beholden to our brothers and sisters and right and left again. But after that, 
that's when we had our magic. We open up, we sit around after, and we just open up. And that's a lot of that vulnerability I talked about. We got a bunch of batteries powering other batteries, and I knew this was helping them. So that's another reason I wrote the book. I, I want to take a lot of what I've learned from these vets, and we've learned from each other, and use that to give it to the world, to, to help the world, to lift them up. I'm glad that you're doing that. And I'm glad that you're talking about people who have come from different walks of life. You're bringing them together to say, here's how we can all work together. Absolutely. Community is huge. Well, Jay Glazer, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. I hope everybody goes out and buys themselves a copy of Unbreakable. Thank you. It is, look, it's for, this isn't just for people who have my level of, of gray. We just went through a pandemic, right? Yep. We all have, we're all told to socially isolate, socially distance. So we all got some sort of gray. Or like I said, social media makes us think our lives suck. So whether it's for you or you want to understand somebody who has some sort of gray, this book is for you. And in order to dive into the heavy stuff, you're going to laugh a lot. So we laugh a lot while we dive into the heavy stuff here. But, you know, I did this and it's a prescriptive book to help people understand how to get through this um, because we deserve to see some blue. We absolutely do. And I appreciate that you shared your personal story, what's working for you and had some wonderful words about stories about other people and what's worked for them and how they've managed to get through these tough times too. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Jay's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Jay's strategies that I highly recommend. Number one, name the thing that you're battling. I love that Jay talked about his depression as the gray. Like I said in the interview, externalizing the problem is a common strategy that we use in therapy. So rather than think, I am depressed, you might benefit from thinking, the gray is trying to convince me to stay in bed today. When you look at a mental health issue as an outside force, as opposed to part of your identity, then you can work on strategies that will help you fight the battle. Jay talks about things that the gray hates, like laughter. So he incorporates laughter into his life as a way to help him feel stronger. He knows what tools work in his battle against the gray, as well as what things help the gray get stronger. When I use this strategy in my therapy office, people often feel empowered for the first time to experiment with different strategies until they figure out what helps them in their battle. Some people even say things like they feel like a superhero in a video game battling against a villain, and it's their mission to find the weapons that they need to win the fight. So whether your battle is a mental health issue like anxiety or depression, or you're fighting an addiction, name it and look for strategies that you can use to fight against it. Number two, make the battle a team effort. So many people feel alone in their struggles with mental health. As a therapist, I hear people constantly tell me how they think they're the only ones feeling a certain way. What they don't know is that the five people I saw just earlier in the day also said similar things. I love that Jay talked about making the battle a team effort. For some people, that might involve joining an official support group. For other people, it might be about confiding in a friend who's had similar struggles. You might also find it helpful to just follow Jay on social media, where he talks about his own struggles and asks his audience to share what they're battling, as well as the strategies that are working for them. It's a great way to connect with people and see that there are plenty of others out there who are going through something similar. And just knowing you aren't alone can go a long way toward helping you feel better. I follow Jay on Instagram and I encourage you to do the same. His username is Jay Glazer, as in J-A-Y-G-L-A-Z-E-R. And number three, do kind things for other people. 
Jay talked a lot about service and how being in service for others helps him fight off his depression. I really like that idea. Mental health issues and feelings of worthlessness often go hand in hand. Many people feel as though they have nothing to contribute to society, and they think they're just existing. This is the reason why people who are convicted of a crime are sometimes given community service as part of their sentence. When people feel like a valuable member of society who can make a difference, their mental health tends to improve, which might prevent them from committing another crime down the road. The truth is, everyone has something to contribute. It could be something tangible, like donating used clothing to a homeless shelter. Or it might be your knowledge about a certain subject that helps others. You might volunteer to help people learn how to read or learn how to speak your language. Clearly, though, when you're struggling, it's hard to know where to start or how to find the energy to do something. But the kind things you do don't have to be huge. You might start by simply leaving an encouraging message for a stranger on social media. Or you could text a friend some kind words, then see how you feel. You might find that this strategy improves your mental health too. So those are three of Jay's strategies that I highly recommend. Name the thing you're battling, make the battle a team effort, and do kind things for other people. To hear more of Jay's tips, check out his book, Unbreakable. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.